Dear friends, I, our subject this evening on this um, study, an outline study of church history, comes to the rise of papacy. Now, one or two of our children were smiling and laughing at that term papacy because they thought it was to do with paper. But uh, it has nothing to do with the rise of paper, but it has to do with the succession of popes and the leaders of the Roman church and the and it is a general term that is used of the Roman Catholic system. And uh, so we want to discuss that. This is uh, from roughly around 400 to the latter part of 600 AD that we want to think about. Dear friends, one of the greatest or great laws of the kingdom of God is that the person the, the person is greatest who serves best. That person is the greatest who serves best, who is actually a minister of Christ and a minister of his people. By minister, means, mean, we mean the actual meaning of the word, which means to serve. And in that per, verse that we read together, in verse 26, our Lord Jesus Christ said, but ye shall not be so, that is like the, the, the chief and the great of and those in authority in this world, but let but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ says. What does it mean? He says that, but he that is the greatest among you. That is, it could be by age, or it could be because of the gifts that they have. So he says, if you are being ambitious of the grandeur, of the authority, of the pomp, of the power, of the prestige, which perhaps uh, might be, uh, in terms of the age at least, Peter's case was, the, was that point here, who was the oldest man. He says, let him be as the younger. Don't, don't uh, be over those others who are younger than you. Think about John, who was the, seen as the youngest of the disciples. Be, be a modest man. Be someone who is humble, the Lord is saying. Uh, know where your place is. Condescend to a, a lower estate. S esteem each other higher than, uh, than yourself. The older one esteeming the younger one, encouraging, serving. And then it says, and he that is chief, he that is chief, that is spirit, uh, speaking about the chief in terms of the rule, spiritual rule, maybe a church officer, maybe someone who was uh, carrying over the synagogue, a spiritual ruler. A governor of the church of the Lord. As those disciples were. He says, you, you know where you stand. The best place for you to be, to be a servant of Christ. Servant of his people. And then he goes on to speak about, this is what position I have taken. He says in verse 27, but I am among you as he that serveth. Imagine that the Lord of glory, the creator of heaven, 
become a servant and ultimately shedding his blood for us on the cross. That's amazing. But that's the law of the kingdom of God. And how difficult the lesson this is for all the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our master himself, who said, I am among you as, as he that serveth. It is a humbling thing. And so we have applications. Uh, you can apply this to your own heart and life. When you think about our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, stooping down and washing the disciples' feet on that last Passover, which we associate with the institution of the Lord's Supper. What was he teaching the disciples? Be a servant. Be a servant. So just even before we start, you have to ask yourself, what disposition do I have? What attitude do I have in terms of the Lord's people? The church officers here, myself included, what position do we take? We are your servants for Jesus Christ's sake. And that's the best place to be. Now let's, let's think about this period then of the rise of the papacy. We will look at the teaching uh, or the subject of the early church offices. So in this study, uh, we want to see how Contrary to the example and the teachings of Christ, the spirit of selfishness and the spirit of pride and seeking to be first began to show itself in certain parts of the early church. There were sinners still. Many church officers wished to be in those days uh, to be regarded as great men. And finally, you have in time the office of the Pope was recognized, the Pope being the leader of leaders, the supreme father of the church, as they would refer to themselves. And when we talk about the Pope, it is the um, Latin expression of Papa, which, which means father. So the, uh, in the early church, in that time of 400 AD, you, you begin to see certain kinds of tension that arises. Certain kind of tension. And what you find is that the, um, the teaching of the word of God is, as the previous slide was, that there are only two offices in the church of Jesus Christ. There are two permanent offices. That of the elder and that of deacon. The elders were divided into, we could say, into two classes. Those who served in, who were called in preaching and teaching and ruled in that way, and those who um, served in watching over the flock, they are overseers. And so the elders, the scripture teaches us in First Timothy and elsewhere that they are, they are known as the bishop or the overseer. It means su supervisor or superintendent, uh, we might think. But after a time, dear friends, some, some of these bishops thought that they stood much higher in, in their work and in their dignity than the other elders who, uh, in their view, were inferior to them. So we are higher than these other elders. We are higher than these other bishops. And so they looked down upon them. There, this tension 
began. And this was contrary to the words of the Lord, where we read in Matthew 23 and verse 8, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. And so it's only natural that among these, what we call patriarchs, which means fathers, uh, a struggle for preeminence arose. And for years, there was a bitter contest. And it culminated into this strife between these, um, these, these so-called fathers or bishops uh, in Rome. There were a number of them. And also then Constantinople. Constantine had established his, his um, capital uh, there in that region and called it after his name. And for a number of reasons, this, this tension was, was brought about. He, uh, Constantine had, uh, had taken the seat of the Roman Empire from Rome to Constantine, to, to, that, to the Byzantium. And so after that time, when Constantine was no longer in Italy, he was no longer in Rome, um, as years passed over a period of decades and uh, one or two centuries, the bishops of Rome, those ministers in Rome, uh, they seized the opportunity to gain power to themselves. And that's when it all began. They, they became quite powerful, both politically and spiritually became powerful. So we want to think about now the papal authority. Claims began to be made that the Apostle Peter had, had lived and labored at Rome for some 25 years. And dear friends, the New Testament knows nothing of this. There is no evidence that Peter was ever Bishop of Rome or that he was in that city for any length of time. Although it's probable that he, he died there, but he wasn't there for that length of time. But Rome prevailed over Constantinople, at, at least in the West. The patriarch of Rome claimed the highest authority in the whole church, and he declared himself the successor of Peter. And the name patriarch was changed to Pope early in the 6th century, so about 500 AD. One important bishop of Rome was called Innocent I in 402 AD, who made it a rule that no important decisions must be taken by churches in the West without the knowledge and approval of the bishop of Rome. So there's this rising of power and people stating things about their authority, claim to authority, even in those very early days in the 5th century. Okay, we'll move on to Gregory I. There's a bishop by the name of Zosimus. He's the next bishop of Rome. Uh, he went a step further. You see, each one of them, incrementally, they moved further, taking more power to themselves. And he went further and said that no one had the right to question a decision taken by the Church of Rome. So that's what he said. Then the next pope came along, Leo I, uh, who was the Bishop of Rome for 21 years from 440 um, AD. 
A man of great ability, he strengthened Rome uh, and Rome's hold on all the Western churches. Who, so he, his power dominated the Western churches. And there, there are other bishops, there are other famous bishops. Another famous bishop was this man, Gregory I, or Gregory the, the Great, who uh, was between 590 to 604 AD. He was the, the Pope in Italy. The emperor at Constantinople, he, he governed in Italy by a man called the Exarch, who lived at uh, Ravenna. I trust I'm pronouncing these names correctly, but it's a port on the Adriatic Sea um, <clears throat> to the north of Rome. But his rule was weak. And when um, a group called the Lombards, they pressed into Italy from the north, they were attacking Italy from the north. It was Gregory who took chief responsibility for defending Italy against the enemies. So, in, in a, both a, a worldly sense, in the matters worldly, as well as in matters of spiritual, he became very important. Gregory the Great, or Gregory the First. And it was he who also, uh, he appointed uh, these bishops, provincial bishops, as deputies or as vicars. So when they refer to themselves as vicar, a vicar means in place of. So when the person says, I'm the vicar of Christ, and that is the title of the Pope, he says, I'm the vicar of Christ. He says, I'm in place of Christ. And he give, has now since then, he's taken himself other, uh, other names. But that's what the word vicar means. And uh, so that's, uh, nonconformists don't like the term vicar. So um, I hope you don't use that term for me. And, <clears throat> but as a mark of their authority, uh, uh, Gregory, he presented them, these, these deputies, these vicars, he presented them with the, with the pall or pallium, uh, which was a coveted article of dress. He also, Gregory, he reformed the church's music very thoroughly. He began to introduce things into the, the worship and the, in, the, in the way the music was was played and so on, in the, uh, which lasted into the Middle Ages. And uh, so many of the tunes were also called by after his name. So that is Gregory. And we see a, a progression of uh, taking power upon themselves and applying uh, their rule over the churches. Okay, we will move to the next uh, point and I, I hope you appreciate the fact that I'm going very quickly through all of these names. I'm aiming to just give you a little taste of some of these uh, figures and some of these people and then ultimately to wrap it up with some words of application. But we want to think about Charlemagne and his coronation. An event of great importance took place in the year eight, 800 when Charlemagne or, or Charles the Great uh, became king of France, uh, and he ruled much of the Western uh, and Central Europe. And he was cr crowned Holy Roman Emperor by Pope Leo III in that year. And the, so the Western half of the uh, old Roman Empire had been 
overwhelmed by these barbarians of northern and eastern Europe in the 5th century. But the coronation of Charles or Charlemagne made the popes think that they had the power and they had the right to enthrone and depose monarchs at their will. And to this day, a, a king or a monarch uh, under a Roman rule uh, is, is coronated or is appointed or at least they receive the blessing of the Pope. They have to receive it for them to be actually affirmed as a king or as, as a ruler. Uh, so any kings outside of uh, the Roman power, they are not seen as proper kings or proper rulers. The Church of Rome, as Cromwell put it, it is both a spiritual body but also a, a political body. And you cannot separate the two. Uh, they have become intertwined, and, and it was under Charlemagne that, that the, the, the papacy began to have that sense of, without us, there will be no emperor. Without us, there is no king. So let us move on to the next, <clears throat> which has to do with some forged documents. There were two forged or famous documents. Both of them are now known as forgeries. Uh, that further assisted the growth of the power of the papacy. Uh, the uh, the so-called uh, Donatian of Constantine, it was a document called Donatian, claimed that the emperor of that name, um, when he went to live in Byzantium, he granted the bishops of Rome uh, very extensive rights in Italy including the privilege of wearing a, a golden crown. So, they, so that is when the Pope is coronated to this day, he has a, 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 he has a crown of three tiers uh, because he is referred to as the King of Kings still to this day. That's the title of, of, the, of the Pope is the King of Kings. You see, to your, uh, you see already that how they would take to themselves the names and titles of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> So, um, there, so that, that was one of the documents referred to this. And then later uh, documents, document called decretals, uh, professing to be letters and decrees of the bishops of Rome going back to apostolic years, uh, exalted the powers of the bishops uh, and of the church in general and assisted the bishops of Rome to establish their authority in both church and state. So it became a, not just a spiritual body, but Rome became a, a, a political body that the state could not exist uh, without the papal orders and papal sanctions. And still to this day, Rome itself is a, an or Vatican, it is uh, under the rule of the, the papacy. And uh, so it has its own special laws within the Vatican City. But now we'll move on to the next item that are of, of some importance too. We want to think about the East and West Schism. So there, there were rivalries. These rivalries between the popes of Rome, because there are a number of them. And the patriarchs of Constantinople finally resulted in the separation of the Eastern 
from the western part of the church. So when you talk about, well, why is there this Eastern Orthodox churches, the Greeks and the, the Russians, uh, Russian Orthodox and so on, there is a clear divide between them and then the Roman Catholic Church. Why is that? Well, because of, it started with these rivalries. All these bishops wanted to have power and control over, over the whole uh, Roman Empire. And um, those who were in Constantinople wanted a, 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 a different order of things. And so there always have been difference, difference, uh, differences in language. So they, they were different in language. The East used Greek. The West used la the Latin language. But there also sprang up differences in doctrine, in the use of icons or in use of statues. But the most important of these uh, concerned the, the person of the Holy Spirit. Because for the Greek Orthodox Church, as it's still to this day, they assert that uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father alone. But dear friends, the scripture teaches that the, the Lord Jesus Christ said that he sends the Spirit, the Comforter. Um, and, uh, but that's the, the Greek church, the, the Orthodox church, still believe that. And uh, whereas the, the Roman Catholic Church rightly teaches that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So then at that time, there were these clashes and attempts were made to prevent division. But that failed. And in, uh, in 1053, 1053 AD, there was a breach that was made between the two churches or two groups um, that became final. And since that day, the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church or the, or the Eastern Orthodox Churches have existed independently of each other. Uh, yet in most respects, when you analyze their teaching, in most of the things, they are very much alike. And both are apostate churches. Both are false churches. Let us move on. I want to say some things about the change in worship practices. <clears throat> so not only the exaltation of church dignitaries, that is the officials, the, the, the church officers were the sign of apostasy that was visible in the, in the form of and practice of public worship. Uh, the, the difference became or between what we find in the New Testament and that uh, what we observe in the churches of both East and the West was amazingly great. You, you would see a, a great separation from the Word of God, from the teaching of the New Testament. They began to more or less go back and to, to, to uh, make the Old Testament priestcraft to be, come into the church. And so they took onto themselves uh, the, the term priests and to be mediators. And so they took on to themselves um, uh, magnificent names and they made their buildings magnificent. Uh, there was the church, Sophia Church at Constantinople, which became the finest of them all at that time. And these bu buildings were lavishly uh, furnished uh, with, with gold and with silver and all sorts of things that Peter would have blushed because Peter said to the man, Silver and gold have I not, uh, but uh, there was plenty of silver and gold uh, in these Roman as, as well as the Eastern 
churches. And there are various other things that I could say about these things, but I, I, will, I will withhold from that because of the time. But the, the bishop uh, or the bishops appeared in public worship in, in ornate and expensive apparel. They separated themselves from, from the laity, from the people, the common people. They dressed differently. They were addressed uh, differently. They had a much higher position than everybody else. Um, <clears throat> and to this day, you would see that too. This is why the Puritans very much loathed the, the clothing of uh, the Church of Rome and the nonconformists. They rejected the as they left the Anglican system, which is a, at that time modified form of Catholicism, they said, no, th these things are the rags of popery and so various things. That's, that's why uh, oftentimes a room in, the, in a building in the church called the vestry, well, that was where the, the priests used to hang their vestments. That's why it is called the vestry. That's why I don't like to call it the vestry because I don't have any vestments to hang on there. But, um, but that, that is... That is part of that. So the, these, these ministers, by, by what they dressed and the way they appeared, they would make themselves to have this authority. Rather than our authority is the word of God. This is what the final thing uh, in our hand, the most powerful thing that the ministers have and the elders have is the word of God. That's all that we have. That's our authority. Not my opinions or not my ideas, but it's the word of God. So uh, these were some of the changes that uh, we find uh, even in the outward things. Everything seemed to point to outward show and inward emptiness. Uh, it, it, they were more concerned about what things looked like and how things sounded. And there, there are churches today, I think about uh, when I was in the charismatic churches, what they were concerned about was outward. What, what, how things sounded and how uh, you could see the lights and the smoke and all the other things. And uh, if they were not right in the way they thought should be, then you didn't have a proper worship. Really, it wasn't going forward. These charismatics and those who seek after these outward things are actually going backwards to those Middle Ages. But that was a age of pomp and pride, of sounding grass and tinkling cymbals without spiritual reality. Well, we'll move on to another point, and that is the veneration of saints and images. So another sign of apostasy, that means a turning away from the truth, from the truth of the gospel, the simplicity that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God. Another sign was the praying to saints and the worship of images. It originated in, the, uh, in various ways, but you begin to think, the memory of the martyrs who had suffered cruel deaths was still in people's minds. These godly men and women who suffered much. So the memory of these people were on their minds who, uh, under the Roman emperors um, and, they, and they lived vivid lives. They lived amazing lives. And so people remembered them. The stories of their lives and death were, were read and reread. 
And this might indeed have been uh, very beneficial. As we would read biographies, as we would learn from the lives of others. But we ought to be very careful, dear friends, as well. We ought to be careful of uh, the, the Calvins of this world and the Spurgeons of this world and the Edwards of this world and Lloyd-Joneses of this world. We ought to be very careful of not following suit and uh, admiring these men above what, how far they have gone after the Lord Jesus Christ. We, don't, we follow these men, we, we appreciate their teachings as far as they have gone and we re- realize that they are, they are sinners at best but were tools in the Lord's hand. But um, people began to visit their graves, like you and I, we might go to some places, visit the grave of John Bennion or grave of Sp- uh, Spurgeon, and, uh, or very close to us, Benjamin Bedoum, uh, who was the hymn writer, uh, and, uh, and, and other places. But these, their graves were being visited. Memorial services were being held. Churches were named after them. Saint so-and-so. And uh, even in the days of Augustine, people began to invoke deceased saints. That is, they were beginning to pray to them, to these uh, men and women of God who had died. And not only the martyrs, but famous bishops were idolized. Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed among women, was unduly exalted. And the time came when she was looked upon as the queen of heaven. That's an Old Testament description of of pagan gods. And uh, worship was paid to her. When we talk about uh, homage uh, or veneration, this is it. It's not just a mere respect and honor. It goes beyond that. They begin to pray to them. And images were placed in the churches. And that's why, generally speaking, Reformed Protestant churches have, have tried not to involve too much pictures because of distractions and because people take on these things and begin to think beyond the image to things that uh, we ought not to. And at first they... They, they were found only in the homes of the people, but in the 4th and 5th century, uh, they were also placed in the church buildings. Now, let's um, come to a conclusion. I want to think about true Christian doctrine. All of these things that we think about are contrary to the true Christian teaching, teaching of the Word of God. Because the teaching of the Bible, the New Testament especially, we find nothing of superior or inferiors in the church of Christ. Peter himself tells us that all the people of the Lord, all the people of Christ belong to a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We read in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So preachers, elders, deacons, uh, they, they have their position of respect, and we, we, there is, in our day, the opposite of, of lack of respect for them. But they ought to be respected because they're handling the things of Christ and the Word of God, and for the sake of that, uh, their service, uh, there ought to be a level of respect, but, but not beyond what the Scripture teaches. Um, but 
the, the, the preachers and elders and deacons and church members who do not have an office are all alike. The scripture teaches of the, the priesthood of all believers, uh, that all Christians are the priests unto God and kings unto Jesus Christ. And the differences do not affect our oneness in Christ. We are still part of the body of Christ. I'm still a member of this church. Uh, there, there is no hierarchy in that sense. And uh, we, will, we will explain later how popes claimed and exercised powers when we come to the time of uh, the Reformation. But they began to lord things over God's heritage. They were not examples or examples to the flock of Jesus Christ, but uh, they, they began to take unto themselves what they should not have. They began to treat themselves as, as real kings, and they had parishes, and they had kingdoms that they ruled over. And before the Middle Ages ended, popes and rival popes clashed with one another. At one time, there were three popes. Uh, that uh, they hurled their curses at, at their rivals and called each other the Antichrist. Um, and when the 16th century Reformation got underway, we, we find the first English Protestant, the Archbishop, he said this, while he was being burnt at the stake, he said this, as for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy and Antichrist with all his false doctrines. And that's difference, a strong and clear word indeed. Uh, we ought not to see the Church of Rome as a Christian church. It is a false church. It is that spiritual Babylon uh, that the scripture talks about. And one day the scripture says Babylon will fall. And uh, so what do we learn then from lessons and application? How do we serve one another? What's your attitude in service? Are you willing to do anything? Or are there certain things uh, below you and say, no, I, I, won't, I won't do this. Somebody else could do that. Mrs. So-and-so could do that. Mr. So-and-so could do that. A child could do that. Why should I do that? Why should I tie someone else's shoes? And, and so on. Do we stoop down to a level of a child to talk to them? When was the last time you did that? You actually stoop down to, to another child in the church and talk to them about the Lord and, and, and be, be, being an encouragement to them. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ himself demonstrated how he served by the washing of the disciples' feet. And so we ought to prioritize serving others over personal ambition and personal recognition as well. Don't be someone who would put your name out just to be recognized. No, no. The second thing is that we need to understand biblical leadership. Biblical leadership. And we need to continue to, to learn about these things. Recognize that the leadership in the church should adhere to the New Testament model of elders and deacons. Elders should serve as overseers and guard and shepherd the church and, and its doctrines. And the, uh, the deacons are to care for the, for the body, for the needs of the body, and, uh, and the support of those who are in practical needs. Leaders should be avoiding uh, 
avoid seeking titles and positions that promote pride and self-ambition. So think about that. What is biblical leadership? Do you understand how a church should run? Do you have an Anglican mentality or a, or a, a papal or Romish mentality? Or do you have a biblical mentality about an understanding of leadership? And also another thing is priesthood of all believers. Uphold this biblical principle of that we are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are priests unto God. And so when we gather together in this fashion, we are all equals in the sight of God. The same blood was shed for us at Calvary's cross. And so love one another as, as, as those who are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Guard also against worldly power. Let us not put our trust in princes, in the horses from Egypt. Let us not think that the, the way we can resolve the problems of this world is through politics. Yes, in one sense, the church is a prophet to, to politicians. We ought to be like John the Baptist, speak from the word of God to what is their responsibility. That's what we ought to do, very much so. Uh, but be very careful of worldly power. And also then think about reformation. Understand the significance of Historical events like the Reformation, where reformers like Martin Luther challenged the authority of the papacy. Be willing to reform. Be willing to return to biblical principles. We, we should be always saying we are always reforming. We are always seeking to be biblical. I, we are always searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. Another thing is that know and love the true worship of God. That simplicity that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Love the hymns. Love the psalms. Love the word of God. Love the simple way that we practice the worship of God. Appreciate it. See and be convicted about it. That this, is, this is a biblical teaching of the scriptures. That, that we are to worship God with Bibles in our hands and, and, and a love for Jesus Christ. We are not here for a show, but for Christ's glory. Avoid idolatry. Avoid idolatry of men. Um, be very careful of names. Be very careful of putting a man who, whom the Lord has used so high that everything he says is, is, um, is seen as being perfect and correct. No, my friends. No. I remember there was a situation in my younger days when I was a little bit um, maybe uh, rash um, or rasher, if there is such a word, um, that uh, a man who was waxing eloquent about Spurgeon this and Spurgeon that and uh, so on, and we all had a, had, were tired of Spurgeon by the end of this lecture. And then, um, and then I had to put my hand up and said, Mr. Son, so did you know that Spurgeon smoked? Should we also smoke uh, as well? And um, just making a point, I shouldn't have maybe said that as a, as a student in those days, but um, um, it is, we ought to be careful about these things. Give your focus to the Lord. Give your attention to the Lord. Study church history. Learn, that's another thing that we can learn. Learn from church history to, to better understand the development of these things, these ideas. That, and there's nothing new under the sun. 
things repeat themselves. And as the saying is that the thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn anything from history. Uh, we repeat it again and again. And so uh, have that mind to, to, to study what happened in the church, how the Lord worked in the church and stand for the truth. Stand for the truth against all things that are false. Don't compromise. Uh, the, there was a situation that I was talking to somebody uh, who said, well, I've, I've made these compromises, so I might as well make these compromises too. And so um, it, it is a very dangerous place to be, to know that you're compromising biblically uh, because it's, it's a, uh, you're, you're then going down this slide, downward slide, Stand for the truth. Ultimately, we are answerable to the Lord. And uh, as, as leaders, if we are to be leaders, we ought to practice the servant leadership. Servant leadership. Don't appoint any church officer who is not already serving and loves Christ and loves his word. Don't appoint anybody who, who is there just to uh, be there in the front and be there in the pulpit. Make sure they actually are serving first and serving the lowest. Well, we could say a lot more things, but may the Lord bless these few thoughts to us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee tonight for considering these matters. We realize, O oh God, that Thy church continues on, even though through uh, those times where many hearts were moving after um, unbiblical things, yet thou hast always a people who have loved Jesus Christ, who have loved to serve him. Thou hast never been without a witness. And Lord, we pray for thy help that we might learn from these things and that we might um, be watchful over our own hearts and we might be students of thy word. We pray for thy blessing upon this congregation that uh, our, our God would only be the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we might worship Thee in spirit and in truth. We pray that we might be, be willing to share the gospel with others around us in its simplicity. Uh, because even though it is so simple, it is, uh, yet it is the most powerful weapon from heaven that has been sent uh, to not destroy men, but to give them life. Lord, bless us now as we seek thy face in prayer for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.